stuff before. Whilst I've done an afternoon service, I can be yawning already. That's not a good sign. I haven't started <laughs> preaching yet. <laughs> oh boy, might have to get you all staff with and uh, you know some exercises or something. And chapter four. We're going to read the first five verses of Amos chapter four. Hear this word, ye kind obation that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, drink and let us drink. The Lord God hath sworn by his holiness, that lo, the day shall come upon you, that he shall take you away with hooks, posterity with fish hooks. You shall go out of the breaches, every cow at that which is before her, and cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress at Gilgal by transgression and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaim and publish the free offerings. For this liketh you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. Let's look the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we do thank you for this afternoon and Lord, we do know that it is a difficult time of the day to be attentive to your word, but we do pray that, Lord, you help us to pay attention, to listen, and, Lord, I pray that you give me wisdom to be able to make this uh, understandable and be a blessing. And, Lord, we just want to be a blessing. We just want to be an encouragement. I pray that you help me today to be that encouragement, to be that blessing, to speak your word in truth, to challenge. And we do pray that, Lord, you just use me to your glory. At our time together in your word, we pray. May we receive you that which you have for us. And may we leave this place and saying, Hallelujah, what a Savior. May we pray as we come to your word. For this we ask in Jesus' name. As we know, Hosea, I remember out there, Amos was a herdsman prophet. Unqualified, but willing. And he'd come to announce God's judgment upon the northern kingdom and then pronounce God's message to the nation of Israel. In chapter 3, we noted that Israel sinned against privilege and against special calling. And now we see Israel respond to great mercy here in Amos 4, verses 1 through 13. And the Lord here once again challenges the nation because of their wrong attitudes. You know, attitudes are important, as we saw this morning. You know, Jonah had the wrong attitude when he went to preach against Nineveh. Attitudes are important. We need to make sure that our attitude in our service for the Lord is right. And this passage reminds us about our attitudes. In Amos 4, verse 1 through 5, God here accuses Israel of selfishness and hypocrisy. And so let me, first of all, their selfishness in verses 1 through 3. We read, first of all, hear this word, ye kind, obation, that are in the mountain of Samaria, being Samaria, being the kingdom, to press the poor, which cross the needy, and see the masters bring, and let us drink. The Lord hath, God hath sworn by his wholeness, that lo, the day shall come upon you, that he shall take you away with hooks, and your posterity with fish hooks, and you shall go out, breaches every cow at that which is before her, he shall cast him into the palace, saith the Lord. 
He starts off with these unusual words, hear this word, ye kind ovation. Now, such a description is odd to us. But it was quite natural for the herdsman of Tekoa, a man by the name of Amos. Now, the word kind there, the kind ovation, is the word cows. And hear the word, uh, what he's saying is, hear this word, ye cows, ovation. Ovation was famous for her uh, fertility in its soil and its flocks and its herds. So the prophet here takes an image from his life as a herdsman and addresses the wise of wealthy leaders of the land. These rich, these wealthy uh, gentry and these women had gotten rich by ruthlessly and illegally robbing from the poor. Look in verse 1 as it goes on towards the end there. Which are the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, bring and let drink. And so they crush the poor, they crush the needy. They rob them. These society women lounge around all day drinking wine and telling their husbands what to do towards the end of the verse there, which say to their husbands, bring and let us drink. They laze around all day long and just drinking wine and boss husbands about and giving off the posterity that they gained from robbing the poor and taking money from those who didn't have it to give. And Abraham, Amos represents their opulent, lazy lifestyle out of fatted bullocks, fatted kine, fatted cows. Now today, if any preacher would call anyone, let alone call a lady a lazy cow, or a cow, um, he would rightly be in trouble. But that's what he calls them, okay? He calls them lazy fat cows, basically what he calls society ladies. Now, Amos not saying they look like cows. Okay, he's not describing the way they look. He's not describing how large or scary they are. He's not describing how ugly they are. He's not describing anything about that. What he's doing is he's describing that by their sins they were they were fattening themselves up for judgments. They were just like the fat cows of land of Bashan, which were ready for the slaughterhouse. Okay, they were ready to be butchered. And he's saying, these people, these ladies in particular, you are fattening yourselves up on the riches of the poor, and in so doing, getting yourselves ready for the judgment. Now, if you know, was a phrase that more we would use in the context of these kind of ladies, we would call them fat cats. Okay, people who got wealthy and were wealthy in some ways often were fat cats because they robbed from other people or walked over the top of everybody else to get to their position. Okay, so please understand he's not derogatory to them the way they look. He's been derogatory to them and their behavior. They were terrible people. And they became fat at the expense of others. They oppressed the poor, they crushed the needy. Both their wives, both these wives and their husbands were living in luxury while the poor were suffering. The poor were suffering because these same men had exploited them and had robbed them against God's will. And they'd gone about making themselves their lives easy at the expense of others. You know, careful, we too can be, have similar attitudes, not so much as far as robbing poor and getting ourselves wealthy and rich, 
But you and I can have such a desire for our own things, our own selves, and we want what's best for us, that we in ourselves uh, seek what's for us at the expense of others. And we seek what's best for us at the expense of the will of God. And if we're not careful, we can have similar attitudes. I mean, the whole point of this passage is about the attitude. We saw that with Jonah this morning. The point of chapter 4 of the book was about his attitude. That he had the wrong attitude. He was coming to it, looking at it from his perspective. He hated the Assyrians. The same as here, the, the Amos is addressing these rich women and their husbands because they're, they're going about their business with the wrong attitude. It's all about them. It's all about what they needed. It's all about their comfort. It's all about their desires. So much they were asking their husbands around, saying, get this for us or get that for us, simply thinking of themselves. Beloved, none of us should be guilty thinking of ourselves. We ought to be thinking of others. Though Hebrews 10.24 tells us to consider one another. True joy can only come as we consider the Lord first, consider others second and ourselves last. Isn't that that song, J-O-Y? Jesus first, second, and yourself last? That is the only way to joy. The only way to true happiness is to put Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. That was the problem here. They were trying to make their lives joyful. They were trying to make their lives full and complete by affecting other people, by robbing other people, by crushing other people, by simply promoting themselves and not caring about others. And Amos is saying what God wants from his people is a different attitude. He wants an attitude you think of other people. And the Lord declares that he will not let this selfishness go without intervention. So in verse 2 we read, The Lord God hath sworn by his holiness that lo, that he shall come unto you, that he will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. The Lord hath sworn, he says. He stresses the seriousness of the problem and the certainty of the judgment. He says, The day is coming whereby uh, you will, that he will take you away with hooks. The idea is just like uh, the, the cow that is taken away to the slaughter ship, the cattle that sort of said, and they'd be hanging, hung up on hooks, that that's uh, uh, when they've been slaughtered. The idea is here, the imagery he's trying to portray is that, that these Bashan, these kind of Bashan, these cows of Bashan, are going to be led out as they were uh, cattle to the slaughter for the judgments. When judgment comes, they'll be hung out on hooks metaphorically. Mind you, the Assyrians, they may well have been hung on hooks physically because the Assyrians were the very people that, that the Ninevites, the very people that Jonah hated because of their barbaric behavior, impaling people alive on the sticks and letting them die there an agonizing death. They were the first ones to invent a form of crucifixion. They would uh, uh, drag people through the streets, tear their bodies apart, and uh, they were terrible. And he, when they come, when the Assyrians come down to judge you from up in the north, then watch out. They will treat you just like animals that slaughtered you will be slaughtered. He goes on and he says that even their property, their children, they shall take away with fish hooks. And the imagery here is that of prisoners of war led away by a rope fastened or hook, uh, to a hook that has either pierced their nose or pierced their upper lip. What the Assyrians would do is they'd come and they were leading people captive. They would put a ring through your nose 
and they would tie that to a rope and they would lead you away with your ring in your nose or ring in your upper lip and they would drag you away. That's the fish hook here. The imagery here is that of the invading army coming down and overthrowing the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, and the judgment that's going to fall upon them because of their wickedness. The Lord is saying you're about to be led away captive because at least in part of your selfishness and your self-centeredness. Then he goes on and he says, three, and you shall go out of the breaches. Every cow that which is before her and you shall cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. The breaches here are holes in the walls that are made by the and These self-centered people will not leave the city by the gates so they've done uh, at their leisure in the past. Now they will leave the city by the breaches in the wall. Uh, when the enemies come in, they will leave the city not like they would normally leave, not at their leisure, not as free people, but they'll leave by the breach in the wall, either fleeing from the enemy or being led by the enemy out of the city. The image you hear is that in order to escape, to make their escape impossible, those who broke the fences of law and justice shall now leave the city by the broken walls. An imagery of their behavior lead through a breach wall. As they breach the law, they all now leave, have to leave by a breach in the wall they'll be exposed to the most intimate danger and they'll be glad to get out of the city if they can by whatever means they can to save their lives and it says every cow at that which is before her interesting phrase every cow at that which is before her it simply means this every woman shall make a run for it so fast as fast as they can to the breach in the wall to get out of the city so much so that they will follow one another as quick can and clamber over the backs of one another, just like cattle do when you try to drive them down a race. They'll be jumping on top of each other. These women are running out of the city as fast as they can, and they're running over the top of each other, fleeing with no regard for anybody else, trying to get the city before they're arrested by the invading army, even killed by the Assyrians. And you know, the sad thing about all this is that they had everything but they did not have knowledge of the Lord. They were wealthy, they were rich, and they were living in a, in a safe security, living in opulence there in the city of Jerusalem, but they did not have the Lord. And so they'd be led off like animals to the slaughter. Indeed, the wealthy young generation in Israel had everything money could buy. But they didn't have the one thing money couldn't buy. They didn't have the Lord. They didn't have the things the Lord wanted to give them. They didn't have the things the Lord gives to make life worthwhile. It's true today, isn't it? You know, we live in a generation in the Western culture where our young people have more than they've ever had before. We live in an opulent society. We live in a wealthy society. You know, we, we, I, I, even from my standpoint, and I'm not that old, but looking from my generation and looking into generation, uh, the, this generation has so much more than my generation had, and the generation before me had less still. We live in a very wealthy generation. People had so much more. But you know, the sad thing is they don't know the Lord. They have wealth, they have, uh, have things, they, they have possessions. Many of them have nice 
homes and nice clothes and nice cars and nice phones and whatever else might be. They don't have the law. They're no different than the nation of Israel. They have it all. They don't have that which really matters. They don't have the Lord. So he says what he'll do, he shall cast them out in the palace, saith the Lord. They will be taken captive and no longer do as they please. And here is a challenge to us. You know, we are not to live for self, folks. Lord, and for others. That's the way to blessing. It's more important that we know God. It's more important that our children know the Lord and follow Him than that they have riches in this life. For what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and loses his own soul? What matters today is that people know the Lord. It doesn't matter how much we have. It doesn't matter how rich we are. It doesn't matter how many possessions we own. What matters is that we know Jesus Christ the Savior, for that is the most important thing. And the most important thing for our children is that they too know the Savior. And the most important thing for our family is they know the Lord. And the most important thing for the people that we work with is that they know the Lord. Beloved, we can't live for self. We have to live for Christ. Somebody said that selfishness is like a prison that living for others brings from. Well, we need to live for others. Live for those who need the Savior. Live our lives with that in mind. Think of Jonah in this story again. As Pastor Ken was preaching this morning, I was thinking of how it fits so well with this. Jonah's attitude was all about him. All about Jonah, all about what he had, all about his place where he was comfortable and where the, the good was taking care of him and showing him from the sun. And the moment the Lord took it away, he's angry because he's lost what he wanted. And yet there's a nation of people, a, a million people down in the valley in, in, in the city uh, who needed the Savior and needed Christ, and he couldn't be excited about that. He's more concerned about himself. Beloved, that was the problem with Israel here in the day of Amos. They were so concerned about themselves, they were not concerned about others. They didn't think about themselves. In fact, the picture of them running out of the city, clamoring over the top of each other, is just an image of their attitude. They didn't care about anybody else. The only person they wanted to save was themselves. And beloved, we need to get our eyes upon the world and realize there are people lost and dying on the way to hell. They need Savior. We need to get a vision where it belongs. We need not to be selfish thinking of ourselves. We need to be thinking of others. Secondly, we see the hypocrisy. Their hypocrisy. Their selfishness, their hypocrisy. Verse 4. Come to Bethel and transgress at Gilgal. Multiply your transgression and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years. And offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. And bring and publish the free offerings for this like it you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord. The Lord here is speaking, the prophet here is speaking with holy irony when he speaks these words. He is really being sarcastic to them. Come to Bethel and transgress. Come to Gilgal and multiply your transgression. Bring your sacrifice every morning, your tithes after three years. 
and offer sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven, proclaiming public free offerings. For this is what you like. Go ahead and do it. So the truth is they came to Bethel, the house of God, and they tranced against their God. They came to Gilgal and they multiplied their transgression against their God. They brought their tithes and their sacrifices and they sacrificed other sacrifices of thanksgiving. Yet they were not living for the Lord. They had a form of godliness but denied the power thereof. They looked righteous but it was only an outward appearance. They were set upon the service of their idols. Verse 4, where it says, Come to Bethel and transgress at Gilgal, multiply transgression. Bring a sacrifice every morning in your tithes after three years. What they were doing here is they're serving their idols. They were willing to expend and willing to spend for their gods. What they'd set up in the northern kingdom was the groves. They'd set up place of worship of the idols of the heathen kingdoms around about them. They were not serving the true God. They said they were, but in reality, they were serving the gods of the nations. They were serving these idols. And they willingly gave themselves for their idols. They expended and they spent of themselves for their gods. They brought their sacrifices, they brought their tithes, they brought their free will offerings, hoping that they would be accepted of God, even though they offered them to the gods. But all of this was an abomination to God. They were hypocrites, living well, yet trying to worship God, worshiping in any way they please, yet trying to honor God, they were hypocrites. They mimic God's institutions in verse 5 and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven, proclaim and publish free offering. They had their daily spices at the altar of Bethel, but they allowed leaven in them, which God had forbidden. He said they had a form of God. They were going through the motions, but there was no power in it. They were not worshipping God. They were living with themselves. They were self-centered and they were hypocrites. God knew their hearts. But looking on from outside, uh, the heathen looking on, you could see a very religious people. You could see people who went up to Bethel. You went, went up to Gilgal to worship. These were people who were offering up their tithes and their offerings, their sacrifices. They were going faithfully daily and they were going faithfully up and worshipping and sacrificing and to all intents and purposes the heathen looked on what you saw was a very religious nation but God looked in the heart and what he saw was unrighteousness, selfishness and hypocrisy how well they they were with their how well pleased they were with their services this is in verse 5 for this liketh you O ye children of Israel saith the Lord God they liked what they were doing. You loved it. They loved the forms and the rituals of religion. But they didn't love the God who they ought to love. On the surface, it looked as if Israel was experiencing a religious revival. Crowds of people walking to the holy places. 
The buildings were full. There was crowds and people everywhere. It seemed like there was a revival taking place. They were bringing their sacrifice and their tithes. Look at chapter 5, if you would please, verse 21. Chapter 5, verse 21. I hate or despise your feast days and not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offering of your fat beasts. They were offering up their sacrifice. They were offering up their tithes. They're even singing song praise to the Lord. Chapter 5, verse 23. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. Chapter 6, verse 5. That drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with cheap ointments, but that grieve for the affliction of Joseph. Chapter 8, verse 3. And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day saith the Lord God. Now there shall be many dead bodies in every place, and they shall cast them forth with silence. And chapter 8 and verse 10, And I will turn your feasts in the morning, and all your songs in lamentation, and I will bring you sackcloth upon your all loins, and baldness upon your every head, and I will make it as a morning of uh, an only son, and the end thereof is bitter day. They sang songs. They put up sacrifices. They sang songs of praise. In fact, they offered more sacrifices more frequently than the law required just to prove how holy they were, to prove how spiritual they were. But their gifts and their songs didn't impress the Lord. For he saw what was in their hearts. And sin that was in their hearts made their sacrifice unacceptable. The people of Israel loved going to religious meetings, but they didn't love the God they claimed to worship. The people of Israel, there's in the northern kingdom, made a pilgrimage to Bethel and to Gilgal. Every three years they made a pilgrimage. It was a popular thing to do in that day. Everybody wanted to do it. Everybody wanted to keep up with the crowd. Everybody was going to Gilgal. Everyone was going up to Bethel. Everyone was worshipping. Everyone was going to church, so to speak. But there was no confession of sin. There was no brokenness of heart before the Lord. But only religious ceremony. It was a religious event that made the participants feel good. The whole system was corrupt. The people were sinning when they thought they were serving the Lord. Their hearts were so corrupted with selfishness and hypocrisy that when they went to do this worship, it was empty, shallow, it was hollow. It was unacceptable to God. And you know, the application of today's church is obvious. Because it's very easy for us to join the religious crowd enthusiastically sing rousing songs, put money in the offering plates, and yet not be changed in their hearts. See, the test of spiritual experience when we go to church is not do I feel good, nor is it did we have a big crowd and did we have a good time. Now, that's the picture in general of the church today. You know, we look at those churches out there, the, the hill songs of the world, and they're massive, they have big crowds, 
and uh, worldly speaking, they look like they're successful. They look like there's a religious revival going on. But what's taking place inside is not God-honoring. And people who go there may well feel good. They may well see the big crowd. They'll have a good time. But if they're not worshiping God from their heart in spirit and truth, then that worship is not acceptable to God. Seal test is not does, it, does church make me feel good. The real test is not did we have a big crowd. The real test is not did we have a good time. The real test is do I know God better? And am I more? Am I brought closer to a knowledge of Jesus Christ by the preaching of God's word today? Was I challenged by God's truth? Did God speak to me today by His word? We cannot invent our own ways of serving and worshiping God, and expect at the same time to please God. As believers need to watch, we don't have empty godliness full of hypocrisy and selfishness like Israel. Because you and I, care, we're not careful, simply have a shallow faith. We can simply go through the motions. We can turn up to church. We can worship and we can go through the ritual and we go through all the motions, but in our hearts there's a coldness to the things of the Lord and therefore our worship is empty. You and I need to have a deep faith in Almighty God. You and I need to have a relationship to Him that you and I come to church because we want to worship Him and we want to serve Him because we're coming for His glory. Because we love Him. Sometimes we have an outward show of faith and righteousness, but the truth is inside we're full of self, hypocrisy in the flesh. We need to take heed to Amos's challenge here. Amos's warning to Israel. You know I need to make sure that when we come to worship, we worship God in spirit and in truth. That our hearts are not overrun by selfishness, that our hearts are overrun by a genuine love and concern for others. That you and I are not hypocritical in our worship, because when we're coming with the wrong attitude, that we're coming because we want to worship Almighty God, we're coming for the right reason. And when you and I have the right attitude of heart, when you and I have a, a true, uh, uh, a deep relationship with Almighty God, when you and I have a heart that is in tune with Him, we come to worship Him and we come to serve Him, then you will bring glory to God in our service and in our attitudes, and in our witness, because we have the right attitude before a holy God. Israel got it all wrong. And because of that, they were about to be judged of Almighty God. Let's take heed to the Old Testament truth. And let's make sure that our hearts and attitudes are right. When we serve God and when we worship Him, we might do it to His glory not for the wrong reasons. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this afternoon for your word and for the challenge, Father God, that is here in this
message from Amos to the children of Israel about their selfishness and their hypocrisy. And because of that, Father God, you're about to judge them. May we, Father God, have a heart that is in tune with you. May we put you first, others second, and ourselves last. And may we come with the right attitude to worship and the right attitude to service that you might get all the praise and all the glory. Bless now as we pray him, we pray in Jesus' name.